Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The much anticipated, I guess anticipated, much Feared, perhaps, is an, also an apt description. Uh, legislation that's the work product of Senate uh, Republicans and Democrats, uh, Jim Langford and Chris Murphy and Kristen Cinema, and of course, all at the sanction of Mitch McConnell. The the uh, border security package that dropped yesterday. Uh, here are some of the highlights. Some of this may sounds like it's actually pretty decent, but I still have an issue with it. Uh, see if you do. See if this changes your mind. Uh, no amnesty for anyone already in the U.S. illegally. Okay. Sorry, Emla. Uh, funds an increase in ICE detention capacity to approximately 50,000 from the current 34,000. It's marginal. The uh, rolling averages that has been much discussed by us and everybody else that's focused on this. At a seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters per day or 85,000, excuse me, 5,000 encounters per day or 85 encounters in a single day. So seven-day rolling average of 5,000 encounters or a single day uh, number of 8,500 encounters. Homeland Security is required to shut down the border and turn away anyone who crosses. No new asylum claims will be allowed and anybody crossing will be removed. So it would end the whole, I made it to U.S. soil, you have to process me, sort of, at, a, at certain thresholds it would end that. Um, it does not mean 5,000, this is the point Langford's been trying to make, it doesn't mean 5,000 are allowed in before the authority kicks in. Single adults would be detained. Uh, families would be released uh, via alternatives to detention. Asylum claims would be fast-tracked to months rather than years under a new expedited expulsion system. Those who fail would be quickly removed from the U.S. Those who initially pass would be released with work authorization and 90-day supervision until final asylum claim is determined. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. I already got a text message. Dan and Amy, where is building the wall in this package? There is not building there the wall in this package. Yeah. Uh, tougher asylum requirements, uh, cr- three bars eligibility, criminal history. There's an, you know, what an insight. Uh, could they have resettled in another country on the way to the U.S.? Could they have resettled somewhere else in their own country? Um, it appears legislative, this is from, from Malugan, 
Uh, it, uh, Bill Malusian, I'll just go with that. It appears that the legislation would move asylum claim decisions away from immigration judges and instead have them handled by Citizenship and Immigration Services um, per this expedited feature of adjudicating asylum. $1.4 billion in FEMA funding available for disbursement to NGOs, municipalities. Why? Ends um, U.S. Uh, parole releases via CPB. Keeps humanitarian parole as it was originally intended, medical procedures, court cases, and the like. 5,000 new visas over five years. So 10,000 new visas a year over five. Uh, funding to hire hundreds more ICE de- deportation officers, BPP agents, uh, uh, citizenship and immigration services asylum officers, per what I just said. Also greatly increases the number of deportation flights. No unaccompanied minors can be removed. Some of the minors will be, receive attorneys, either pro bono or taxpayer funded. So now you're incentivizing what's been happening, which is families to send their kids alone or the cartels to send operatives in the form of unaccompanied minors. Yep. I mean, and don't, and don't, you know, scoff at that. What do we see with uh, street gangs in this country? using 13 and 14 and 15 year olds to commit crimes because they know they'll be charged as juvies, not to mention to get them in the pipeline. Provision in the bill that would allow the president to suspend the shutdown authority authorizes the president to suspend the border emergency on an emergency basis for up to 45 days if it's in the national interest. Well, here you go. There's one of the fail safes for the open borders crowd. Um, I shut the border emergency on an shut the border in an emergency on an emergency basis for 45 days if it's in the national interest. So I the declare that we have a, a border emergency, an emergency basis, emergency uh, on the border, other than it being open. And so I declare most of what's contained in this legislation as um, enjoined for 45 days. And then what, what will they do? The same thing they did during COVID, have an endless series of 45-day stops, 45-day declarations. Um, those are the some of the highlights. Those are some of the highlights. So what do you think? 312-642-5600, Turnkey Dapro answer line, 64636-DA, Turnkey Dapro text line. Jim in Sheboygan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, historically, the the argument was always build the wall first, and we know you're serious, and then follow the existing laws, and then hammer out future laws and change immigration law based on the process that exists through Congress, and stop all of the glitter and decorations and all of the spin that's going on right now. That's all it is. Thanks for the call, Jim. Marty, Naperville. Yeah, Dan, you made a good point. After 45 days, it's just going to get extended and extended. What about the millions that are already here? Not a word about that. Are they just incorporated, and I'm using quotations, into the country then? This is ridiculous. Like the guy just said before, this is just, just a smokescreen, just something to look at what we're doing now, look at our, uh, you know, our, our this new policy we're going to have. It, 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 it's not, not build the wall, get things back to the way they once were. Albeit it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't a 
you know, an open open borders situation, but it's just it's just it's just a a, a band aid. So thank you. Thanks for the call, Marty. I mean, here, here's here's the thing. You know, the, to me, this is just if it was enforced, right. which is a big if, and uh, this this is just slowing the roll. But but you know the the um, those organized criminal operations taking advantage of our open borders. I mean, they can recalibrate accordingly. They can do over a month or a quarter what they're doing on a daily basis. It really doesn't interrupt their business very much. Not to mention what, I mean, not, not to mention just sort of the general skepticism that even if this, that, 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 that even if it's what's proposed here was... Uh, enacted into law, you'd have a good faith enforcement by this administration. There's another reason, and we talked about it a bit on Friday with Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, why I don't like this sort of compromise, because you're going to hear from, I mean, you're hearing it, been hearing it for two weeks in the Wall Street Journal editorial pages. You're going to hear from sort of establishment Republicans. This is, you know, to be opposed to this is to be uh, opposed to solutions uh, opposed to compromise, you have to recognize we only have a slim majority. We only have slim control of one uh, half of one third of the government, and so on and so forth. But there's a there's a problem with that argument. I'll get to uh, Vince in Geneva. Yeah, Dan, this is uh, another ploy by the uh, the Democrat. This is basically the rhinos in the Senate who hate Trump. Wanted to throw Joe Biden a lifeline, so now he can. This has no chance of passing the House, and they know that. Now Biden can run on. Oh, if it wasn't for the MAGA extremists and Trumps in the, in the in the House, the border would be solved. It's not my problem. It's MAGA Republican problem. And once again, this, these are just like the intel agencies from 2020 who blame the laptop on Russia. It's giving Joe Biden a lifeline for the election. Thanks for the call, Vince. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that. That's right. Look, we worked with Jim Langford and Senate Republicans and these intransigent, uh, you know, as as Vince said, MAGA extremists that are going to usher in a MAGA dictatorship would have none of it. They're the ideologues. They're those the uh, uh, intransigent ones. Yes. Yeah, that's going to be argued isn't it 60 billion to ukraine and 20 billion to the border well there's yeah this is all um wrapped up in a oh did i forget to mention that oh yeah 118 billion dollars ukraine israel taiwan border In, in that order of priority basically yeah matt matt mount greenwood Good morning. McConnell and his ilk are, are no better than any Democrats as far as I'm concerned. But the point of the story is that uh, there's a lot more violence against Chicago police officers than anybody knows or anybody hears about, certainly. I've got a very good friend of mine who was involved in an incident where his partner was uh, slammed against, punched and slammed against uh, the wall, broke his shoulder just the other day by an MS-13 uh, gang member, and the guy just smiled. But, uh, yeah, just pay, pay attention. Just get Talk to the people out there actually in the weeds various things to its half it's very sad have a good day folks thanks matt yeah they don't care i mean look, look at the guys that beat up the two new york city police officers they then after that got a fake id and got on a bus and said they're heading to california 
Yeah, after they, uh, knows where they are. after they made sure to flip off America for for the cameras, which was oh, which was, was actually was, was helpful. Yeah, it was helpful you know to them. It was really expository. Um, that, that those images will be useful down the road. I, I, I'll guarantee you that. And then he was sticking his tongue out too. The dude that was flipping off with both hands, he was run, like putting his tongue around his mouth as if he was just flirting with somebody. It was disgusting. Mike in Yorkville. Good morning, Dan and Amy. You know, just the issue that we hear and, and the solutions that they are giving, it reminds me so much, and everybody can relate to this, poor administration and poor management in any company that you have. You hear these, these, these solutions, they never go back to the people who are actually doing the work or actually they're representing as we put in. We are being represented. And I can guarantee you, if you go back to any of these people's constituents out there, especially in the Republican districts, they would be saying no to the majority of this stuff and actually stating most of the things that you guys have said. Thanks for the call, Mike. Uh, Jeff in Cal City. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. I don't understand. President Biden has been saying for quite some time that he, has, he doesn't have the ability to shut the border down. How, by passing this bill... And they shut the border down if there's too many migrants, if it crosses that threshold, that they're acting like it's a light switch, like we can turn the border off, we can turn the border on. Yep. I want them to explain to me how magically they're going to be able to just stop all of the immigrants from coming across the border. Thanks for the call, Jeff. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We're talking about the provisions in that Senate immigration bill that dropped yesterday afternoon. A key provision that makes the rest of the bill moot, as far as I'm concerned, is giving the president the right to issue a, emergency declarations of up to 45 days to suspend the uh, uh, the uh, implementation of all the other provisions in the bill. Right. So think COVID and the endless series of emergency declarations you got from executives to extend out their policy preferences, regardless of the data and the science. But I mean, these policies are not going to end the catastrophe at the border. Not at all. Well, well, this is the the issue. So we talked about this, as I've said now, a couple of times with Ron Johnson on Friday. It was a good conversation because I'm I, talking about things like um, the 
current federal uh, statutory provisions like the National Voter Registration Act that allow for a skullduggerous party to flip all of the people that have come into this country illegally. Just think 1.8 million gotaways for starters to flip them onto the voter rolls. Also, other pools of potential illegal voters because it is illegal for a non-citizen to vote in a federal election under the law. But then underneath it, as we talked about a lot last week, are all of these opportunities to do just that. And that needs to be cleaned up. And Ron Johnson's response was, yeah, well, that's true. But, um, you know, we can't take this up at the federal level because we don't have enough control to ensure that we wouldn't come to come up with some compromise like we have on this immigration bill. That would exacerbate the situation in the case of uh, election law that would further federalize elections, which is something that we don't want and shouldn't want. Well, on this, it's sort of the same thing. You have to raise this issue to drive the debate, to maintain people's focus, to get a lasting solution. Because if you do some sort of compromise that starts from the premises of the left, well, then everybody declares that we've had this compromise, we've solved the problem, and the attention span dissipates and the moment is lost. And what happens? You didn't materially change how we do border security, you just slowed the role of how we're not doing border security. And by the way, it's not just at the southern border, too, as we remind you from time to time, but here's another good reminder. New Jersey-based migrant gangs smuggling hordes of illegal immigrants into the U.S. uh, through our northern border. Remember that one? Uh, The Canadian border, 6,000 bucks a head. The ringleaders are migrants from Guatemala and Colombia. They snuck up across the more, uh, Mexican border and set up shop in New Jersey, running a lucrative scheme while dodging the feds. This is a, a report in the Daily Mail over the weekend. They're, they're striking while the iron is hot. They see the moment. And so, again, th- with that kind of business operation up and running and the kind of money you're talking about, I mean, yeah, if we can't get it done, what we are, as I said, what we can't get done in a day yeah, I mean, we'll get done over a week or a month. That's yeah, fine. But but you can't you can't just say, oh, we we achieved something. We got we got an agreement. No, because this. I mean, then it's just what we've been doing over the last several generations, which is getting agreements that don't address the underlying issue, that don't uh, set a foundation of sensible policy, that don't provide for border security. No, I mean the border never closes. Unless someone arbitrarily decides, oh, maybe we should shut it down for a while. And by the way, remember who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with people against the backdrop of all that has occurred in the last several months. Like Adams in New York City, who is launching a $53 million program to hand out prepaid credit cards to migrant families. Yeah, they get if you have a family, you get a thousand dollars a month, so it equals about thirty-five dollars a day, and you could spend it at a supermarket, a bodega, and that's it. Well, you know, and again, nobody is nice. suggesting I, I like that. Nobody wants to see, and nobody's going to let anybody starve. Uh, but the rental assistance and the prepaid credit cards and the this and the that and the—I I don't think you're. 
hearing what your constituents are saying. And again, what sort of signal does this send to the rest of the world? And the rest of the world is watching, to borrow a favorite phrase, the rest of the world is watching and they're responding to the incentives that we're presenting. Yeah, the program is going to begin with a group of 500 migrant families that are staying in hotels. And well, that's nice. So they don't have to use the money for lodging or clothes. And that's, you know, that's how that's going to go. And then they'll see what happens. The city claims that they're going to save money by this doing this program. But remember, they cut education funding and they cut uh, police funding and they're giving money to migrants in New York City. And don't remember think that that's not going to happen here. And remember, they're throwing veterans out of nursing homes um, to make way for migrants like 95-year-old Korean War vet Frank Tomorrow. It was very disgraceful what they did to the people in Island Shores. They gave us time to get out, but they never said when, and they never said they were going to get us out. And then one day, there's a thing on the board, a notice on the board, you got to be out by March 15th. I think that gave us like a month and a half to find yeah. out where we're going to go. I thought my suitcases were going to be on the curb because I'm not that fast. <laughs> if it wasn't for my daughter, they would have been on the curb. <laughs> but that's what it happened. And uh, that was it. I said, no, 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 you're not moving me. And they said, yes, 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 we are. And it... Uh, Everything was done behind closed doors. Yeah. And we didn't have a chance to actually make any attempt to stop them because there wasn't enough time. I Schools, nursing homes, your money, all prioritized for non-citizens. Kevin, Austin, Texas. Uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. I remember years ago when McCain was running, he was talking about how when Reagan did amnesty and he worked it out with the Democrats at the time, the mistake that he made was not building a physical barrier first. It's the same argument. And and not only that, and I wanted to talk about as far as resources. You have limited resources as far as what money's coming in, so you have to you got to create more debt. And these are services, you know, the resources, anybody, any mother or father with a child with special needs should be insulted. That people that are coming in now are going to get those resources, they're, they're a bigger priority than your child. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Um, again, the incentives, right. People are watching, people are paying attention, both huh. Americans and non-Americans who desire to be in America. They're paying attention and they're responding. Let me give you an example as if we need another one. But this is particularly salient because of all the attention that's been paid to this gang of migrants that attacked those two New York City cops in Times Square and then were released without bail. Of course they were. That's New York's law, like Illinois. Right. John Miller is a law enforcement analyst for CNN. Uh, here's his report on the topic. CNN's law enforcement, CNN's yeah. law enforcement analyst. There is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, mm -hmm. multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. 
this particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Um, one of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. And I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh, and then Erica Hill's jaw dropped like, uh-oh, we got oh. busted. Oh, no. No, they're, they're like shocked. Oh, they arrest people in other parts of the country? <laughs> uh, the Yeah, in Florida, you right. get arrested. So he was talking about that gang that attacked those right. New York City police officers with their rap sheets and what they've been up to since they arrived. And yes, in Florida, you get arrested. So we steal in New York and we spend in Florida. And you tell me that they don't respond to incentives? The huddled masses? And real quick, I mean, the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, we all know who he is. He let them go, and he said that there wasn't enough, that the video evidence wasn't enough to hold them. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal is calling on Kathy Hochul to DeSantis, Alvin Bragg. Wouldn't that be interesting? You know, she has the power. She's one of the governors, like the governor of Florida, that has the power to remove a district attorney for uh, malfeasance, for failure to uphold the law. Uh, Hochul's not going to do that. But the point is this. Could you imagine? So I, I just go just putting the Trump overlay here. So you got Fannie Willis in Fulton County and you got Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. I mean, again, can Trump does Trump pick his enemies? Did he pick the prosecutors who are going to prosecute him? Uh, Bra- Alvin Bragg said, uh, I don't think New Yorkers want us to charge the wrong person. No, are of course you kidding not. Me? Of course not. No. Perish the thought. Mark in Oak Lawn. Dan, thanks for taking my call. You know, we've had, Joe Biden's had three years to fix the border crisis, and he's done absolutely nothing. He's tried to wreck it. And now all of a sudden he's Gandhi, and we're supposed to uh, go along with what he says. And then you got Ukraine, which is an illegal war. You know, he's, it's the most illegal country out there. It's unbelievable that these rhinos would even consider it. It's a, the rhinos are all controlled opposition. Sad. Thanks for the call, Mark. He doesn't want to fix it. He needs votes. He needs to rig this 2024 election. Um, this is interesting because, you know, it's just always fun, the conversion stories, or, or somebody that, get, that, that is able to climb out of their uh, Trump derangement syndrome trance. Mm-hmm. This uh, really obnoxious actor named Michael Rappaport, You've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really obnoxious, and he's always foul-mouthed, and he's a big, yeah, you know. Looks, he looks like he smells. Sorry. Okay. He he's disheveled. Uh, he's, but it's the, t- the typical, I'm a tough-talking New Yorker yeah, kind of thing. We'll yeah, take it down. The joy yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like the same. Okay. It's their iteration of, the city of big shoulders, work hard, play hard. We work and hard, she, we play hard. My Mark Uncle. Yeah. So anyway, um, yes. he has... Uh, saying Trump is under consideration now because he's not happy with what he calls cadaver Biden. Voting for pig Donald Trump is on the table. Voting for pig Donald Trump is on the table. The other day in New York City, six illegal aliens jumped 
a New York City cop, NYPD's finest. They jumped a New York City cop in Times Square and were arrested and released without bail. I know it's a city thing. I know it's a state thing. I know all that. I know all that. I know all that. Okay? Stay with me. Released without bail. Came out of the courtroom on some Tupac raising the middle finger with the Detroit Red Wings jersey. Let me tell you something. What the f*** is the world coming to? If you could be from another country, beat up a cop in New York City and walk out with no f bail, what the f*** is the world coming to? What the f*** is the world coming to? I know Mayor Adams, you're from Brownsville, Brooklyn. I know this Like, what the f*** have I gotten myself into? Stay with me. On the same day that that happens, cadaver Joe Biden issues an executive order about four quote-unquote settlers in Judea, Samaria, a.k.a. the West Bank. Some troublemakers, three of the four have already been arrested. You issue an executive order about four troublemaking f***-ups who've already been arrested in Judea, Samaria, while there's a war going on, while there's 100-plus hostages still being held in Gaza, you're talking about that, but you got nothing to say about beating up cops in New York City, the greatest city on earth. Maybe it's not. Maybe my city is not the greatest city on earth anymore. If you could beat up cops, if you could beat up cops in the quote-unquote greatest city in the world and be released without bail, are we the greatest city on earth? Cadaver Joe Biden, we see you. We see you. Don't worry about those in Israel. BB got them. Israel will take care of them. Worry about cops getting beat up in Times Square and walking out uh, uh, with no bail like the Tupac Shakur. Worry about that shit. This is why voting for pig Donald Trump is still on the table. Okay. Um, so he's uh, undecided. I think he's leaning towards Trump. Well, I would say, yeah, I would say now, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the um, I think the thing that most offended him was the Red Wings jersey, yeah. by the way, which I understand. And the but, other yeah. guy was wearing a Lakers shirt. Uh, but maybe uh, Rappaport is on to something. Maybe uh, New York City isn't the greatest city in the world anymore. No, it's not. And maybe Chicago isn't the city of big shoulders anymore. Well, Alvin Bragg could have easily sent this to a grand jury to decide, but no. He chose not to. Tim in Woodstock. Hey, good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, I was reading an article in the Epic Times that uh, Kayla Mamalik, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the mayor, spoke for instance, name right there. But uh, he was um, excited because this was going to provide what he calls cultural, culturally relevant diets and baby supplies for the choosing. So that's fine. You know, people come here illegally and we're worried about Providing them a culturally real, relevant diet. That'd be like me going to uh, Mexico, I guess, and demanding that I be able to buy a quarter pounder somewhere. I mean, it's just it's getting silly. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call, Tim. Dennis in Crystal Lake. Dan, Amy, I get uh, the vet, uh, the vets. I want to uh, comp, uh, concentrate on when I went in in '79. I and if I did 20 years, I was guaranteed. For the rest of my life, full medical care. That was in my contract. 
I don't know where Congress and Senate uh, removed it, but today it's a mandate. For the last 15 years, my sex life has took a dive because I only can take because I only can get six Viagra a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank, thanks for the call. That, that, that's inhuman. That is inhuman. Yes. Uh, thank you for the call, Dennis, and keeping us updated on your sex life. Yeah. Um, I think I think I speak for all our listeners when we say thank you for that. Well, thank you for your service. Yes. Some things we don't need to. Your know. service oh. in, in the military. In the mil, yes. Thank yeah. You. Dan and Amy, Chicago's morning answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Listen up because I want everybody to support a restaurant in Naperville. I want them to go to this restaurant today and, and every day. Every day they can, at least. So I want to get to that in a second. But um, I, I got some good news. What? I'm so excited. What? Oak Park is back in business. Wait. Oh, they didn't kick him out? Oak Park awarded nearly $2 million state grant to assist asylum seekers. Uh, We're back in my, the migrant business, baby. Boom. Yeah. Congratulations, Oak Park and River Forest uh, as well, even though, you know, you're sort of the poor sister there. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. The Village of Oak Park awarded $2 million. Thank you, Governor Jelly Belly. Well, why can't more communities be like Oak Park and access other people's money that Jelly Belly has so generously made available to bring migrants to their community, particularly the hate has no home here uh, communities? Oak Park has received, um, already received 400000 that was uh, combined with 650000 they received from the federal government. That's what they used for the migrants in uh, the end of last year. Now, the village plans to give $1.24 million of the new award to a nonprofit so it may operate a new temporary shelter in Oak Park through the end of June of this year. Oh. It will be part of the village's current shelter program at the West Cook YMCA or the Carlton Hotel. Uh, and uh, because those sites were uh, scheduled to be unavailable by the end of this month. The new shelter will be located at the former St. Edmunds School Building that is owned by, of course, the Archdiocese of Chicago. Nice to see Cardinal Francis kicking in. 
I mean, Cardinal Francis. Cardinal Supich kicking in. They're sort of a mashup. Um, but yeah, Cardinal Francis kicking in too. The 360 grand from the grant. So you got your $1.24 million for St. Edmund's School, 200 South Oak Park Avenue, if you'd like to go over and, um, you know, look at the glass menagerie of migrants, as Oak Park residents would like to do, so, you know, they don't have to be in your home. They don't have to be in your neighborhood, right? Um, except maybe your, you know, downtown area. Anyway, three hundred sixty grand of the grant will be used for legal services to assist asylum seekers, asylum seekers in their application process. And then three hundred thousand to fund short term rental assistance for asylum seekers, forty thousand for administrative expenses associated with assisting of asylum seekers in Oak Park. They've got a nice little program set up there in Oak Park. Glen Ellen, Hinsdale, Naperville, Downers Grove, Wilmette, Glencoe, Highland Park. What where, where are you? Where are you folks? That money's available. You could have a nice little program. In your downtowns, yeah. like Oak Park does. 312-642-5600, our turnkey.pro answer line. You could text us all morning long at 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Susan Buchanan hey. is back in business, baby. Yes, I love that chick. Gosh, a good doctor. Hot. You Whew. shut up, you uh, honkies, although I am one. Um, this uh, related story. I've invoked Naperville and volunteerism. Josh McBroom, that city councilman uh, we profiled and shot him into the stratosphere. He's been making the media rounds uh, because he uh, offered this uh, idea of setting up a sign-up list for Naperville residents who would like to take migrants into their homes because, you know, they're a welcoming community. Brilliant move. And nobody signed up. Not as of yet, I, I don't think. I think they I think they suspended the idea of a sign-up list because it it's really not their problem. That's more of a city of Chicago thing all of a sudden. Yeah, that's what they said. The, the, the city council in Naperville uh-huh. decided that, no, uh, we don't know if he was serious or joking, but we're not doing that in our town. Well, why not? Uh, I mean, what if somebody did sign, sign up for it? Let them have migrants. You're, you're going to tell them yeah. they can't have migrants? That's why? not very friendly of you, Naperville. Why would you spend any time worrying about whether you're serious or joking? Because you're serious, right? You're serious about your position as a welcoming community. You're serious about no person being illegal. You're serious about hate having no home here. Just like uh, Mayor Rudolph in Western Springs. Hey, yeah, what about that? Did you get a grant yet? No person can be illegal. No? Hmm. Okay. All of these wonderful, enlightened communities with the highly educated uh, residents, successful professionals, but they're givers. Why no giving? They're openers. Why no opening? Hmm. Sad. Uh, Josh McBroom uh, posted this, going back to Naperville. Most of you undoubtedly uh, heard of the stance I've taken on open border policy and the threat I believe it poses to Naperville's public safety and public resources. When taking a tough stance publicly, it goes without saying, you'll get both love and hate in response. The hate doesn't bother me. I can take the arrows. The unfortunate reality is the left does not just shoot the arrows at you. They will come after your family to try and silence you. I've learned that Pancake Cafe on 75th Street in Naperville is being boycotted by local Democrats. 
first of all, that's good news. So now anybody who is not, you know, criminally insane, go to Pancake Cafe to enjoy your breakfast sans Democrats. They should put that on the window like Sean has, you know, Biden voters not welcome on the the outside of uh, Elmhurst Cigar House. It makes it for a much more friendly, enjoyable experience, I got to tell you. The Pancake Cafe on 75th Street in Naperville being boycotted by local democrats why do you why? ask that's that was the first question i had why yeah because they employ josh mcbroom's teenage son <gasps> no they're not <laughs> no no oh i hate these people god i can't stand them uh we're gonna get that mcbroom kid they're going after minors i mean think about how sick and perverted that is <laughs> We're not going to the Pancake Cafe because Josh McBroom's teenage son lives there. That'll show him. We're adults. We're smart. We're enlightened. We're sophisticated. We're urbane. Oh, my. <laughs> you believe this? I, I want to take this show right now to Pancake Cafe. We should do a remote. We should do a remote from we, Pancake Cafe. I think we did one years like before you were here. I'm almost positive. We I don't remember. I'd remember the Pancake Cafe remote. No, no. Right. It was before you got here. As well. Yeah, all right. John worked here. Um, it's a family-owned uh, restaurant. Josh McBroom knows the owner as well. Salt of the earth people. I'm not going to broadcast this out there out of respect for the owners of Pancake Cafe. Well, it's a little late for that, Josh, because I've done it for you. I'm sure they don't want any publicity. Well, they're getting it, and they're going to get business, too. Yes, they are. But Because uh, this has nothing to do with them. No. It has nothing to do with his kid, and it has nothing to do with the owners of the Pancake Cafe. It has to do with these barbarians in your midst oh in God. Naperville, Napervillians. So, yeah, uh, oh, it's a great sick. family-owned diner. The Pancake Cafe on 75th Street in Naperville. Flood it with business. Flood the Pancake Cafe at 75th Street in Naperville with business and report back when you do. If you can't stop for breakfast or lunch, then stop in and just say, you know. Get a break. Get something to go. Even if you that, already had breakfast, have breakfast again, folks. Or, and you know, this is, this is like the Rebel Diners that Tom Sudeikis set up during COVID. Support these local businesses. And, and also, when you go in there, say, and I want that McBroom kid to serve me. And give him a nice tip. I mean, do you think the Democrats are going there to, like, spy on him and see what he looks like? Is that the broom kid still here? I'm sure that I'm sure this is, you know, the 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 Anna Stava Murray fringe element. But regardless, that fringe element is in charge. Oh, no, I, I have some Democrat friends. They would never do something like this. They support the people who do. Please connect the dots. Pancake Cafe. Pancake Cafe, 75th Street, Naperville. I want the McBroom kid, and give me the works. Give me the heart attack special. I want two pounds of bacon. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line 646-36, type in DA, then a quick comment. Are they going to find out where his wife works next, or maybe... Make sure that you know the kids aren't on extracurricular activities in their high school. I mean, are they going to stop there? Or are they going to keep this going? They're the, repulsive creatures. Hate has no home in Naperville. Right? The irony is completely lost on them. Pancake Cafe, 75th Street in Naperville, being boycotted by the Anna Staffa Murray Looney left. Support 
Pancake Cafe on 75th Street in Naperville. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM 560. The Answer. Just a couple of postscripts on the Pancake Cafe and on 75th Street in Naperville. Yeah. Uh, one, um, I should include uh, State Representative Janet uh, Janet Roar, uh, State Senator Laura Elman, the, all these ghastly offals, including Anna Staff and Murray. I just focus on that state rep because she's the dumbest person to ever graduate from Bennett Academy. So I just that's maybe why I focus. But definitely throw in Roar. Uh, uh, Janet Yang Rohr, right? Uh, and uh, Laura Elman, the state senator there, too. I mean, they're all part and parcel of the same thing. Secondly, the Pancake Cafe folks, you know, uh, Josh McBroom saying it, they, they don't want the publicity and stuff. I'm sure they don't want the publicity. Well, here's something that conservatives aren't great at boycotting, but they're good at supporting. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't know what the politics of the family that owns this Pancake Cafe is, and I don't care. I don't care. Support a business that's just going about their business and is being attacked by, because of the politics of people who are so hateful, so intolerant, so small minded that they would focus on the workplace of the teenage kid of a political opponent. That, that actually de- that demands publicity. Yep. It really does. And they should be called out for it. I mean, threatening a minor. I mean, they're, I mean, they're not threatening, threatening him, him. They're, they're boycotting him. Boycotting, boycotting him. the restaurant like, he works at, but it's still. They're trying to take his livelihood away. That's important to a kid. Well, it's also just the, the whole, I mean, it's a, it's a life lesson for McBroom's teenage son is if he's not learned it from watching the heat that his dad takes. But, you know, I mean, this is, you know, there's some people out there like this. So you better get used to it. Stiff upper lip, young man. And, they, and they've done this before. This isn't their first time. Just oh, I'm keep sure. That in mind too, because of they course. Go, you don't agree with them. They will take you. They will try and take you down any way possible. Uh, all right. On a um, uh, well, not really a lighter note, but it, it was just because of this off the cuff eulogy he provided on Friday. Uh, we learned that uh, Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed, uh-huh. passed away. Yeah. And uh, Sylvester Stallone had this sort of impromptu eulogy to his good friend, Carl Weathers who without Carl Weathers, the Rocky franchise wouldn't be what it what it became. Uh, and that's Stallone's words. Take a listen. Hello, everyone. Today is an incredibly sad day for me. I mean, I've, I'm so torn up, I can't even tell you. I'm just trying to hold it in because Carl Weathers was such an integral part of my life, my success, everything about it. I, I give him incredible credit and kudos because when he walked into that room and I saw him for the first time, I saw greatness, but I didn't realize how great. I never could have accomplished what we did with Rocky without him. He was absolutely brilliant. His voice, his size, his power, his athletic ability, but more importantly, his heart, his soul. It's, it, it's a horrible loss. And I'm standing here in front of this painting because it was probably the last moment we were ever in the ring together and I'll never forget it. He was magic. And I was so fortunate to be part of his life. So, Apollo, keep punching. 
Uh, I love that. I love the relationship between the two. And Carl Weathers was magic. He's one of those guys that just ooze charisma on screen, much like you did in U.S. Marshals, Amy. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't just Apollo, too. I mean, he actually developed range as an actor. I mean, he was... And he was other in other big blockbuster films like Predator, but uh, I just think of him as the as a Happy Gilmore's golf coach, right? I mean, it's fantastic. He's great, Com- great comedic timing. I mean, uh, yeah. So definitely rest in peace, Carl Weathers. And I I, pr- I appreciated the Stallone tribute. I love sort of getting a a behind the scenes look at the relationship between uh, you know two iconic actors and and how they came together to produce that uh, iconic franchise. Anyway. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, real estate investor Chris Amator. Uh, made some news a couple of weeks ago when uh, ABC7 Chicago profiled what he was doing to assist migrants who had been uh, uh, transported to Chicago, again, by their choosing. Um, He uh, and his family uh, took in 448 adults and children at 15 of the residential buildings he owns, including one on the South Shore in the South Shore neighborhood that was profiled in that piece on ABC7. And, of course, that generated a lot of discussion in terms of is this um, somebody who is just uh, trying to do something philanthropic, as he said in the interview that he gave, this is, you know, God's plan kind of thing. Um, Is it somebody who's trying to get above market rents, like maybe some of those West Loop developers retrofitting their commercial spaces for, a migrant housing and getting um, exponentially more rent than the market would otherwise provide for office space. So there was we had a little bit of a discussion with our listeners on that. Yeah, I was inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. Of course, still am. Yeah. And we're pleased to have him on the show to talk more about what he did and how's it going. Chris Amator, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Hey, how, how you doing, Dan? Amy, uh, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, we yep. hear you fine. Great. So you, you came on our show, and then what happened? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so when I came on your show last Monday, um, then I, uh, later on I got called into uh, Alderman Mitchell's office on the 7th Ward. And, uh, yeah, and I, so I went, you know, uh, out of respect and everything, and, uh, and, and he was very angry at me. And uh, I can't talk about a lot of the details uh, over the air, but you know, I did have my life threatened and I did have, um, life um, threatened my livelihood threatened, uh, because, uh, I, I placed in two buildings, about a hundred migrants into, um, Alderman Mitchell's ward. And so when I did that, I, you know, I was there, it was like six at night, you know, and, and, and I walked in and he, he immediately started pointing his finger at me, yelling at me, telling me how dare I put that, uh, how I put migrants in his ward. And and the one thing I just wanted to say that uh, was not put in the Chicago Sun Times and was not reported on is why that uh, why he threatened my life. And I just wanted to say what I said. It was pretty much the only thing I said in the whole meeting was uh, so as he's yelling at me and I just stopped and I looked at him and I said, 
the amount of hate that is pouring out of you, Alderman Mitchell, is overwhelming. And I pray to God that you find peace in your heart. And that's when he threw everything off his desk and he threatened my life and he threatened to block some zoning thing that I didn't know anything about. And, and then he threatened to take away a contract that I have with the city of Chicago. And, and I just want to say just one thing about that, because I can't talk too much of, of the detail is that I just want to say that um, I was really scared and, and I decided to give my fear to God. And, and then I also decided to forgive Alderman Mitchell for what he's, he's done. But then this morning I came up with something that, uh, you know, I also decided to turn the other cheek to Alderman Mitchell because right now, he, you know, he decided he's going to come after me with uh, building violations and stuff like that, and which that's fine, you know, if he doesn't want to do that. But I decided to do something called the St. Christopher Project where we're going to clean up every single block in the 7th Ward and I call for anyone who's homeless or anyone that is unemployed to meet me tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. at Alderman Mitchell's office in the parking lot. And this is being paid by, by me, Chris Amator, not my company. And anyone that wants to work, they'll get a red ticket with an address in, in the 7th Ward Alderman's Ward uh, with a block. And then they will be paid to clean that block and take before and after pictures. Um, and that's the main thing I wanted to come and say, uh, but uh, any other questions you have, that that's fine. Oh, we have a lot of questions. Well, you got to understand, I mean, when you say, I, I pray that you find peace in your heart, I mean, those are fighting words. So you can understand why uh, Alderman Mitchell got so upset. Um, no, it's uh, it's very interesting, um, the reaction. And it's also, it's also, gosh, not in keeping. I mean, this is a, a gentleman, uh, Alderman Mitchell, who is a acolyte of one Tony, Tony, Tony Preckwinkle. And... Uh, um, for him to not be welcoming to uh, your efforts to uh, house migrants in his ward, uh, gosh, that just doesn't seem in keeping with the public philosophy on this issue as so expressed by Preckwinkle and city leadership. I'm, I'm so surprised that a, an alderman would be party to one position publicly and then have a very different view privately. That is, that is just shocking. In the city of Chicago. Hmm. Yeah, just an observation. I'm sure you never run into that otherwise. Um, so um, on this, so so by the way, first and foremost, in the seventh ward, um, you're going to maintain the provision of uh, shelter for the migrants in in your buildings in that ward. Uh, yes. Yeah. So. All the migrants that I've moved in, you know, I, I purchased beds for them, pillows, blankets, um, heat, electric, so everything, and, and trying to, and then now I'm providing them services that they need so they can get their work permits and stuff like that, or whatever they need to, to, to get on their feet so they don't, because I'm not receiving any rent, Dan, so, and I haven't asked for any rent, that's not the reason I'm doing this, I'm, okay. I just saw people in need on the street, and I'm just trying to help them, that's it, you know. And that, and that, that, go, and that goes, and that goes citywide for all the buildings that, all of your buildings, buildings you own that you've opened up to migrants, you're not, you're not participating in the city rental assistance program or anything like that, this is just you doing what you believe is, is right to help people who yeah, are I mean, in need. I mean, I'm also a businessman, and before I did it, I offered the city because the city told me that the, re the whole reason I did this, the city told me there's 550 migrants that they cannot, they have no room in the shelter for. It was going to be negative 14 degrees. 
I'm on the street, I'm looking at these children in their eyes, and I decided to help them. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I put them in my building. Maybe some were in shelters, maybe some tricked me and this and that. But, but what, you know, whatever. I, the way I was looking at it, that opens another spot for someone else to go into the shelter. And, and, and that's where I'm at, you know. Consider it a spiritual awakening or whatever, and but this is what I did, and you know, there's nothing I can do about it now. So, well, so the only thing I'm doing now is that I'm trying to get them the services they need and trying to get them on their feet because uh, very few people are willing to help them right now. And for mm-hmm. food, for children, Dan, you know, that's the thing. No, I, I, I hear you. And for food, you're giving them access. about politics in Washington, you know. It's like, you know. But anyways. So, yeah. Chris, for food, are you're giving them access to it at Instacart? Yeah, I have Instacart delivered. Um, at first, it was every four days because now it's every week. And I, I'm, I'm going to wean off that. It's like, and that's the thing. Like, the people that I'm dealing with are mainly from Venezuela. And, I mean, I'm not judging or anything, but, you know, they want to work. They're here, like, you know, they're not here for handouts, you know. <laughs> so, like, even when I'm delivering it, they're, they're telling me to stop, you know. And, and uh, you know, just because they know I'm not the city, I'm, I'm just one man and, and, uh, you know, and and they understand I was just trying to help them. So, um, but, yeah, that's – it's not like I'm going to have to baby them the rest of their life. That's what some people think, you know, but that's not it, you know. Well, with respect to um, the uh, migrants' families living in your buildings, um, was there any sort of – are these families, like moms and dads and kids, or, or do you, are you, like, weeding out single men, anything like that? Because, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not um, – I, I have no issue with your philanthropy, your philanthropy and your spiritual awakening, but I mean, there's just the the reality. The reality that you're describing is definitely part of the reality. Kids that didn't have coats in the winter. I remember you saying that in your interview with ABC Seven, and I understand that. That's a good instinct, but there's the, another part of the reality too, which is that arrests of people listing Venezuela as their birthplace have soared about 2,500 percent from. Uh, last year uh, because of the influx and because there is a certain element here and the CWB Chicago is reporting incident after incident of people not just from Venezuela, but I'm just using that as an example, who are committing crimes. And so I wonder how you, if there was any sort of screening that you used. Yeah, that's a good question, Dan. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Dan, I've been like volunteering over at the the 2241 South Halstead, which is the Pilsen, that's the largest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the largest shelter that there is. <clears throat> I actually sent Amy, uh, I sent her all the pictures that I received because I have pretty much everyone's phone number on WhatsApp who lives, uh, who's living in that shelter. Because you know, you're not allowed in there. No one's allowed in there. No one's, no one's even seen in there, like not even the people that are volunteering. So the, the actual residents have been texting me their pictures. And, and I, out of the 2,500 people that are there, at least 1,500 are under the age of 10 years old. It is the saddest thing I have ever seen. And all they have is the clothes on their back. And thank God for companies like Instituto and Life Center, uh, 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 New Life, uh, who are providing them jackets and who are providing them stuff because they come here with sandals and nothing. Like, they're not prepared for Chicago weather. And, and just look at the pictures. There's people in the hospital, you know, with pneumonia, kids. There's people that, you know, as I'm driving, I drove all these kids, all these people to my properties in my own pickup truck, right, in the back, listening to the children cough and their sickness. It's just like, what are we doing? It feels like we have Gaza at our front doorsteps, and and no one's willing to help. All they want to do is complain or they want to talk about the politics, which we can't control that. So I'm saying just help the children on the street. I don't care what color they are, you know, black, Hispanic, 
But the only children I see on the street right now are the Venezuelan people. That's only what I see. And I'm on the Chicago all day long. Well, what other neighborhoods are you putting um, these migrants in besides the 7th Ward? Are there any other wards? Oh, yeah. There's probably a total of like five or six wards where my 15 properties are. Um, uh, the majority of them are on the south side of Chicago in like the Greater Grand Crossing area, Auburn Gresham, um, some in Inglewood, uh, the South Shore, South Chicago, um, some in uh, Morgan Park, Beverly area. And you haven't you had any threats for them. You can look forward. No, well, you can look forward to being having your life threatened by more, more older humans then. So that'll be something to look forward well, to. Yeah, I mean, I just say I, I, I pray to God, and I decided I'm going to do the right thing no matter what. If someone wants to threaten my livelihood or my life, then I put the, I put the results in God's hand. I'm going to do what, what I believe is right. Did, did, you, did you answer that my screening question, though? Do you screen uh, for who you uh, house in your buildings? No, we were just—I uh, was just— you know, picking people off the street, and I was just picking whoever had children. That's who okay. I was grabbing. And then okay. All right. No, well, I do not that, screen anyone. But well, that's sort of screening. Okay. Um, and the um, the you you mentioned uh, uh, Alderman Greg Mitchell there, who threatened your life and did a whole sort of melodramatic throwing his stuff off his desk because he's so upset with you and so forth. They're so scary those aldermen. They're big tough guys. Um, you said uh, he threatened some city contract you have with the city. What what contract do you have with the city? Uh, well, it's with the subsidiary of the city. It's with the Chicago Housing Authority. Um, I manage like 3,500 units for the Chicago Housing Authority. Oh, okay. And, uh, and that's what, like, I've only met Alderman Mitchell one other time in my life, and that had something to do with uh, that contract. I, I met him at his office, um, and uh, right. you know, so that's only I've only had, I've only met him twice in my life. And, uh, something to do with that contract. Like, I see you have this big contract with the CHA, maybe. You should support my reelection. Um, oh, yeah, so, uh, so are, yeah. gonna, are they going to look at your properties and assess them for code violations now? Is that the, their game plan? Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, that's what I was told from a contact I have in the city. I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean that's fine. I mean I'm offering collaboration with the mayor too. You know, and I mean I don't know if everyone, you know because you know we all have commandments and everything. You know, the mayor's command. If, if you look at his what he's supposed to do, number two is the beautification of Chicago. So I offer support for, you know, Alderman Mitchell and Mayor Johnson to help me with the St. Christopher Project to clean up the 7th Ward. And I say when we're done with that, we go clean up the rest of the south side and west side and the north side of Chicago because it's filthy. It is. I drive around all day. And if people need jobs, I'm willing to pay for it right now. So you meet me at Alderman Mitchell's office tomorrow, 9 a.m., if you want a job. Well, I'm not it's a subcontracting job. I'll pay you cash. For the day for the day's work because we're going to clean it up by Friday. Is is CHA housing any migrants? No, absolutely not. This is of all. Not. This is all Chris Amator's properties. All the Chicago Housing Authority has nothing to do with this. No, I know. I mean, I know they have nothing to do with your properties, but I'm just saying in general. Like, just since you have a relationship with them, you maybe know how they work. Do you have any knowledge that they're housing migrants in other properties, not yours? Oh no, I I, I have no knowledge about that, and no I don't knowledge. know. Okay. I, you know, I, I haven't talked to them about that or anything. No, uh, I don't know. With with respect to your properties, how were all these properties vacant to begin with? Well, you know, I'm not trying to have people know my business, but uh, I, um, like when I say 15 properties, uh, uh, you know, some of them are larger buildings that, you know, maybe there's three openings 
uh, in in the building and everything. Like there's a total of uh, 36 units to be to be exact with uh, with the with the migrants. And, and you know, and it, I'm not treating these as shelters either. You know, it's if you have a family of three or or, or less, you get one bedroom, and if you have more than three in your family, you get two bedrooms. So that way everyone's able to have their own space and everything. Like there's not people sleeping in the common areas and stuff like that. So this was um, – well, okay, I just want to understand. So this was vacancies in your building. It's not the entire building that's being yeah, turned I, over. I had like – you know, I had like an, uh, a 7% vacancy rate, and I was able to fill it with that. And then – Understand. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been investing – you know, I've been doing this for about 20 years, and I built a portfolio, and, and so the, yeah. that was my vacancy rate yeah. that I filled. Well, and, and that's what I mean, and, and that's what I said to the mayor of Chicago. I go, you know, easily we could solve this problem. All you have to do is offer like twelve hundred bucks a month, and everyone, and and you know, Pangea, uh, WPD, all these South Side Property Management and West Side and North Side Property Management companies could just fill their vacancy rates, and we could solve this problem. But it's yeah. like no one wants to solve the problem. All they want to do is build one hundred sixty million dollars uh, tents. Yeah, stuff, another way to you know, another way to solve the problem. No sense. Another way to solve the problem was to not not be a sanctuary city and county and state and and not be a, a magnet for uh, this wow, sort that's, of. Yeah. That's way above my pay grade, Dan. I understand. I'm just. I, I understand. Here now. I, I understand. Know. I understand. I understand. Yeah. You're on the ground trying to deal with the reality on the ground, and I, I I respect that. I appreciate it. But do you think eventually the city will pay you for the time that you're? I mean, the space that you're offering. I don't know, but I'm I'm not contacting them anymore or anything. Uh, it's yeah. been a very poor experience, and and I understand, you know, I <laughs> I I picked the fight with uh, you know someone very powerful. It's not very. They, I don't think their administration are are, are are intended to do the right thing. Yeah, and I'm going to, and I'm probably going to have to suffer for that. But you know, like I said, I know it sounds all weird and everything because I know a lot of people don't believe in God these days, but I do, and I'm putting it in God's in God's hands. No, and I'm just going to continue to do the right thing. I have great respect for that and what you're doing um, and the reason you're doing it. And we, we take it at face value. So we appreciate it. And yeah, you're learning something. A lot of people have learned that no good deed goes unpunished in Chicago. Uh, Chris, tell us again about uh, the St. Christopher project before we let you go. Just the details on it. If people want to get involved. Yeah. Uh, like I said, this all kind of, came to me this morning, so I, I am going to be posting it on my Twitter account, which is, uh, I don't have a business one, so just at ChrisAmator37. That's at ChrisAmator37, and I'm going to post the picture of the map, and I'm going to have red tickets handing out at Alderman Mitchell's office tomorrow on 95th Street, uh, if he allows us to do it. Um, and I'm going to hand out these red tickets, but he'll have an address on it, and I'll put your name on it, and then after you clean the block and take the before and after pictures, uh, if you don't have a phone or whatever, we'll help you with that. And uh, and then you submit the ticket to my office when you're done, and you will receive uh, approximately $120 for your work. Oh, nice. Uh, which would be minimum wage, $8 an hour. Uh, just, you know, this is for people who just want to help, but I'm also going to pay. And it's for people who don't, who are homeless. Anyone who's homeless, don't come if you already have a full-time job and everything like that. We don't, I'm not looking for volunteers. I'm looking for people who need money who need help in the city of Chicago, in the seventh ward, people who live in the seventh ward. Are some of the migrants going to be coming? Uh, 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 oh. Yeah. They, you know what? The migrants who are living in there, guess what they are now? They are constituents of the seventh ward aldermen. And you're damn right they're going to help. And they're going right. to be paid for it. 
All right, boy, those are fighting words for Greg Mitchell again. Oh, boy. Uh, Chris Amator, and I appreciate it. Chris Amator, Chicago Property Owner. Chris, thanks so much for your time, and keep us updated on uh, your progress and, uh, you know, the the next uh, uh, rash of death threats you get from Chicago elected officials, too. We'll be interested to hear that. All right, Dan, Amy, thanks for having me on. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So on Friday... The Biden administration responded to the uh, killing of three U.S. soldiers uh, at that Jordan outpost by after days of telegraphing these strikes were coming, giving uh, the terrorists plenty of time to vacate. They uh, launched uh, airstrikes against Iran-backed militias in Syria and Iraq, uh, knocking out a lot of empty storage facilities. I mean, apparently some command and control centers, too, which is all well and good. But uh, I'm not so sure that the telegraphing represents um, a uh, impressive show of force against uh, the leading state sponsor of terror. That would be Iran for now, although the Biden administration is trying to get America into that competition for that title. For uh, more on this. We're pleased to be joined by Stephen Bucci, served America for three decades as an Army Special Forces officer, top Pentagon official. He's a visiting fellow in the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies. Steve Bucci, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be back on the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, how should we uh, receive this uh, strike on um, Iran-backed militias in Syria and Iraq and Yemen? Well, I... Uh... You kind of hit it in your intro. Uh, it's it's the the magnitude of it would have been great if it had been done two or three weeks ago, uh, and the timing of it. You know, I I've been advocating not that we hit targets in Iran. I understand the you know the reluctance there. You don't want to call off a war. You don't want to be seen as kicking off a war, even if you don't. But the proxies are the ones that are shooting at us, actually firing the missiles. I know they come from Iran, but if we had done the same strikes we just did without the telegraphs ahead of time uh, and specifically targeted the installations where our intelligence know that the IRGC advisors are living and working we would have made Iran pay a price without hitting targets inside Iran. It would have made them squeal bloody murder, which is exactly what we want them to do, show them that they're not invulnerable. But doing what they did, the telegraphing, saying, well, yeah, we're, we're going to hit you know, other targets, uh, and giving them time to evacuate their personnel, the Iranian personnel, was was stupid you know what kind of what's the mentality for that other than trying not to uh 
get Iran to, to walk away from the table, which they've already walked away from and have told us they don't want a deal. We don't need a deal with them. They are not a country with which we can deal in the way the Biden administration and the Obama administration before them thought we could, but they persist with this delusion. And as a result, we get weak sauce response. A lot of bombs dropped, probably hit a lot of empty buildings. And nothing's going to change, right? Not particularly. Not. I mean, why would Iran change? It'll wait a, you know, a week or two and then filter their people back, fire off a whole new volley at our people and at Israel. Uh, this was just uh, an ill-advised attempt at what I guess this administration thinks is moderation. The other guys aren't showing moderation. They're trying to kill our people. Why don't we reciprocate? Well, I mean, the I mean, it's I mean, it's a serious question, too. It's not even sarcastic, although it should be. Uh, is it still the philosophy of this administration sort of, you know, get to premises? The premise is that Iran is still a potential partner in peace, even though it's the leading state sponsor of terror in the world. And we still want to strike a deal with Iran to uh, fulfill this um, fantastical vision that uh, people these um internationalists like Biden and Obama before him have of uh, a stable uh, uh, bipolar, meaning Saudi Arabia and Iran, Middle East? Yeah, I, I think that that really is their delusion. They think they could make Iran a responsible partner in a, a more peaceful Middle East. And the Iranians, you know, I'm, someday the Iranians might be if they get a totally new government. But right now, with the government they have, the regime of the mullahs in Tehran, they have stated unequivocally over and over and over again that they don't want peace. They want to kill us, drive us out of the Middle East. They want to eliminate Israel completely. And they're more than willing to break every international law rule that's out there to do it. And they're doing it with the IRGC Quds Force personnel that they've been placed all over the region and frankly all over the world. And instead of treating them as the adversaries that they self-identify as, we continue with this delusion. And it's just, you sit there and go, what is wrong with you people? How can you not see this? I mean, Ray Charles could see they are not gonna be a partner for us now or ever until that regime changes. If you don't want it, change you got to treat them the way they should be treated which as is as an enemy uh former acting defense secretary chris miller had a piece in the journal over the weekend about these drone strikes and one of the other things he said in addition to um, our response that we've been discussing but something that we can address on our end apparently uh, to help uh, our soldiers better defend against all of these drone attacks there have been some 160 since october including the the one that killed those three soldiers we talked about. He writes, though our troops have performed admirably, the Defense Department has failed to provide them with the best available technology to defend against these attacks. Um, and he talks about this being a, sort of a bureaucratic holdup and, a, and a, uh, an obstinance with respect to the Defense Department to be, with their five-year budgeting plans, to be more flexible and resilient to address 
uh, urgent needs uh, in real time, which is sort of ironic for the military, but that there is a drone. To, there's technology to deal with drones that needs to be fast tracked and deployed, and DOD isn't doing it. Yeah, he's spot on. Uh, Chris used to work for me when he was a younger officer. Uh, great guy, very bright, and he hit it on the head with this one. We had an entire process in place during the, the global war on terror to fast track equipment. If if a situation developed and somebody said, "My gosh, this is this is kind of unique. We need some new tools to deal with this," we could send people out to find. Uh, technologies that would address the problem, put it in this fast track, skip the whole bureaucracy. There was still oversight. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't cowboy stuff, but it, it allowed us to skip a lot of the, the legislatively directed craziness that's in the defense uh, acquisition process to get things in the hands of the troops who needed it in the, an amount of time that would actually affect the situation. Why are we not applying that same process now? I don't know. It looks a lot like we're in a war, or at least at the edges of one. We need to use wartime uh, methodologies and processes. You cannot continue to do the old bureaucratic two-step where you, know, you take five years to, from something from concept to deployment. That's just unacceptable in today's world. And we have technologies that can address drones. Uh, you know, all sorts of interesting things with uh, microwaves, with, with all sorts of electronics. And it's not all, you know, bullets to bullets. Uh, and Chris knows that, and that's what he's talking about. And, and particularly with drones, we need to get off the, the dime and get this stuff in the hands of these kids we have out there at risk in the region and get it to them now. Well, that drone that killed those three Americans, could it have been an American drone that was left over in Afghanistan? Uh, it could have been, but it, it, from what I have uh, read and talked to people, it's much more likely that it's an Iranian drone. The Iranians produce a lot of drones. They're sending them to Russia. They're sending them to all over the Middle East. So that's the more likely uh, outcome. It could have been, though. We left stuff in right. Afghanistan for the use of the Afghans who ended up, you know, letting the Taliban have it all. The Taliban doesn't need it all, and they are more than happy to sell it to, to friendly organizations like their fellow terrorists. Um, this uh, Peace and Foreign Affairs magazine, they put their top people on it. Uh, they've got, like, I don't know, five or six people that contributed to this deep think piece. Trump-proofing Europe, how the continent can prepare for an American abandonment. And it's um, it's interesting because it's a bit schizophrenic. On the one hand, they say Trump's uh, demands for more from Europe when it came to uh, transatlantic or global challenges actually made Europeans stronger. They had to, you know, fend for themselves a little bit more as opposed to, um, you know, uh, waiting for America to do all the heavy lifting. But at the same time, uh, of course, uh, he weakened the bonds, and he's opposed to multilateralism, and these are all what reasons why we're they're rooting for a, a second Biden term. But, I mean, just address that, because this is something that we'll hear, you have heard, we'll hear on the trail, that you know the Biden administration has uh, 
reestablished America's standing in the Western world, strengthening the bonds of friendship between ourselves and our European allies. And Trump was this uh, disruptor that uh, made the world more dangerous because we weren't all chummy with Western Europe like we should be. That's basically the gist of it. How do you respond? Yeah, that's nonsense. Look, was Trump a disruptor? Absolutely. Trump said, we're not going to do business as usual anymore. I'm going to call a spade a spade. You guys are not paying enough for your own defense. You either pay up or we're going to walk away. And you know what? They started to pay up. Uh, Most of the allies changed their budgeting process and started pulling more weight and preparing themselves just in time to realize they had the capability to stand up to Russia when Russia went into Ukraine. Uh, Unfortunately, they may not have gone into Ukraine if uh, Trump was still there because they knew Trump would respond, and they were pretty darn sure Biden wouldn't. I think they were sort of surprised that Biden did what he did. Uh, But this idea that Trump is going to totally walk away from Europe, that's just silly. I mean, that's such hyperbole and pearl-clutching. It's just ridiculous. He's not going to walk away from our allies in Europe. He may treat them differently. He's not going to be as solicitous to their crazy climate control wings of their parties. He's not going to put up with them saying, oh, well, this is the best we can do. You're going to have to do the rest. No, he, he wouldn't do that. He didn't do it during his first term. But that doesn't mean he's going to walk away. He didn't walk away before, and he's not likely to do it now. That is pure hyperbole and election year uh, pandering to the fears of certain people to try and get them to vote for what has been a massively ineffective administration uh, under Biden. You know, it, it strikes me as it's like, and you hear that we've heard this before too. This or this line of argumentation because the left's sort of out of ideas. So um, it's it's very much like uh, the domestic discussion. Any sort of reconfiguring of welfare state programs to change incentives is, you know, women and children starving in the streets. And in this case, any sort of reconfiguring incentives to make Europe these proud European countries. Uh, shoulder a proportionate share of the burden when it comes to global responsibilities. And it's, oh, you know, France and, and Germany are going to be starving in the streets. I mean, it, it's, it's, the, the arguments are parallel like, because they're just not that creative. I mean, it's the same thing. It, it's exactly the same thing. I don't know if you remember my old boss, Secretary Rumsfeld, making the comment, well, yeah, you know, New Europe is, is willing to help us against the terrorists. The problem is old Europe. And everybody went crazy. You know what? Nobody dropped out of NATO. Nobody did anything other than huff and puff and harumph like European bureaucrats tend to do. Uh, And then they realized, yeah, well, maybe we do need to change what we're doing a little bit. Or, you know, the Americans are not going to trust us. They're not going to give us the influence in decision making. If we want to play, we got to pay. And that's the same thing that Trump was demanding of them and requesting that they act like the the you know history making peoples that they've always been and instead of sitting there cowering in their capitals saying oh woe is us 
uh, you know what? If you want to be a player on the world stage, you got to come to play. And uh, right now, uh, people who are saying that, you know, I'm sorry, that, that piece was such pandering. It's just, it's a shame. And the people who wrote it know better than that. And uh, they, but they wrote it anyway, purely political reasons. Stephen Bucci served America for three decades as Army Special Forces and a top Pentagon official, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation's Allison Center for Foreign Policy Studies now. Stephen Bucci, thanks as always. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me and look forward to joining you next time. Okay, thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. On Friday, in a 176-page court filing, Fulton County DA Fawny Willis acknowledged a personal relationship with Nathan Wade. That's nice. The the uh, individual she appointed to be a special prosecutor in the Trump RICO case. She uh, added that the relationship has nothing to do with the strength of her RICO case against Trump and his co-defendants, and she should not be taken off the case. What you talking about, Willis? That's what she's talking about. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. You can text us at 64636, type in. DA, then a quick comment. I, did she mention, too, why she chose him? I mean, he's a personal injury lawyer, never tried a RICO case, never tried a felony case. Well, she mm, makes the point idea. that uh, she did not start dating him until after he was retained to be the special prosecutor oh. by her. But that actually makes the ethical problem worse. Yep. Anyway, it also makes her hypocrisy more manifest because... Again, this is what she said in an interview in 2020 on a on a show uh, talking about how she would be different than a previous D.A. who had been the subject of sexual harassment claims. I certainly will not be choosing people to date that work under me. Let let me just say that, Um, you know, we are at a place in society where things happen in people's relationships, husband and wife. Sometimes there are outside relationships. I don't think that that's what the community is concerned about, although there, you know, there might be a, a moral breaking in that. I think that what citizens are really, really concerned about is if you chose to have inappropriate contact with employees. I mean, there's nothing that I can say on it other than it is distracting. Um, it is certainly inappropriate for the number one law enforcement officer in this state. Um, and it just, it, it really, really saddens me. And it will be very unfortunate if the taxpayers of this community have to pay for any of those lawsuits. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, sister. Um, Don't have to Nicola, tell me twice, girl. Nicola, uh, Nate, Nathan Wade, Nathan Wade, I think I said Nicholas. Nathan Wade uh, not only works under Fawny Willis, he works under Fawny Willis, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. And I think you do. She probably uh, hired, because she probably, I'm sure that they were, had something going on or maybe heavy flirting before she hired him, but the day after she hired him at six hundred forty-nine thousand dollars job, that and following well, no, well, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a six hundred forty-nine thousand I mean, dollars job. That's what she's paid out. Okay. She's authorized the payments for his, you know, hourly time to this point. And Wade uh, also represented that none of the money he's been paid has been shared with Fawny Willis. Mm-hmm. But there's a problem with that too, 
because, um, well, you're on these lavish vacations together. And so how are we supposed to separate the money you're getting from Fulton County taxpayers authorized by Fonnie Willis from the rest of the money that you have, right? Money is fungible. So she is still materially benefiting, and it sort of a, gives the appearance of self-dealing. In addition to uh, her own standard of dating subordinates, um, she's also then now conceded that she did a 180 on what she said she would do when she ran for office. And by the way, and not to mention the the ethical problems this raises, this op-ed, this is, this is perfect, this op-ed over at MSNBC from Anthony Coley, former director of DOJ's Office of Public Affairs. Of course he is. I am a huge Fawny Willis fan. I love everything about the Fulton County, Georgia district attorney, her confidence, her way of arguing in court, the trailblazing nature of her role as the first black woman DA there. There it is right there. Identitarian, former DOJ, of course. But he goes on to say, either Willis or Wade should step aside. My preference is Wade, since Willis was elected by the people of Fulton County. Fulton County. Doing so is not just the right thing to do for the sake of optics. It's consistent with the high standards she promised voters in 2020, which you just heard. He goes on to say, no one is accusing Willis of sexual harassment. It's the appearance. Still, she did not meet the standards she set for herself, and by her own admission, she broke a promise she made to the people. She argues there is no conflict of interest between her and Wade and no direct or indirect financial benefit in the relationship. Wade said in affidavit, no funds have been paid to me for my role that have been shared with her. But again, how can you separate that? Given the known facts, there would be no uh, legal justification for Fulton County Superior Judge Scott McAfee to remove Willis, her office, from the case. There's a February 15th evidentiary hearing on the topic, actually. But the court of law, that's the court of law. In the court of public opinion, Willis is likely in more trouble. And here's where I want him to bring in Trump. Her problems are further exacerbated, writes Coley, this Fawny Willis fan. Her problems are further exacerbated by the fact she and Wade stayed silent about their relationship for so long, four full weeks since defendant Mike Roman first made the claims. Her silence was deafening and allowed Trump, Roman, and others to shape the public narrative. She would have done herself a huge service by releasing the facts included in Friday's brief much earlier before many people had already formed their opinions. Yes. And um, before she had to sort of begrudgingly admit these uh, dubious ethical practices at best. So the question becomes, should Trump learn the lesson of Fawnie Willis's mishandling of this situation, you know, at her own hands, her own terrible judgment calls, but then mishandling of the situation once she was caught? Should Trump learn the lesson and address the possibility that he could be convicted of crimes by these phony baloney prosecutors in Fulton County or Manhattan or D.C. before the November election? 312-642-5600, turnkey Depro answer line, text us to at 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, Bloomberg uh, Morning Consult poll, 53% of voters in seven battleground states would not vote for Trump if he were found guilty of a crime, including 23% of Republicans. 55% would not vote for him if he were sentenced to prison. 
In South Carolina, Washington Post, Monmouth University poll found 36 percent of GOP primary voters would want Trump to be replaced as a Republican nominee if he were convicted after winning the nomination. Um, now, the point is, uh, we don't know if any of these trials are going to get to any of these cases are going to get to trial before the November election, be adjudicated before the November election. I think there's a likelihood that they won't be and they shouldn't be in his in his team. Legal team should be pushing these off. Uh, the the uh, federal trial scheduled for March has been taken off the court's calendar. There's no date set in the Fulton County case because of this imbroglio with Fonnie Willis that I just mentioned. It should be dropped. But um, yeah, the Trump uh, trial that's scheduled in Manhattan is scheduled for March 26th, and that's expected to proceed on schedule. And that's that business, that ridiculous oh, business records case. But oh, yeah. but But the point is this. You know, he knows that if any of these cases go to trial, given the tainted jury pools, the politics by politics, um, that he's going to be convicted of something. And so lying back and saying nothing about it other than I'm innocent and these are persecutions, not prosecutions and and feasting on his enemies like Bragg and Fawny Willis because of their rank and competence and general unethical conduct and, frankly, rather uh, flimsy legal minds, Jack Smith included, who's a political actor. But, But waiting for this all to transpire, knowing what the outcome will be because of the nature of our justice system, which he's happy to talk about, I think is a mistake. Now, he can um, he can let this breathe a little bit more and wait to see if these things actually go to trial where they know the legal team says this is going to trial and this will be adjudicated before November. Trump should say. I'm innocent and I will be convicted of some of these charges. And get out front of this. Don't let what we all know will happen like we all knew that Fonnie Willis was having this relationship with Wade and and she let it go four weeks, and everybody's talking about it, and it's obvious, and they're dead to rights. But now she represents it in a court filing. Don't wait for those attitudes, as reflected in those polls, to metastasize. Address it now by saying, look, I'm innocent of these charges. These are politicized persecutions. Right. This is get Trump by any means necessary. These are ends justify the means prosecutors that are operating in an extra-legal extra constitutional fashion but understand something this is home cooking these are manhattan fulton county washington dc you know the insider types and full you know communities full of rank and file leftists who are going to vote against trump because they don't like trump so don't let this inform your vote on the substance of the matter come november if this uh, it's not going to stop me and it shouldn't stop you because, look, there's a lot of, you know, default built up over the bromides that people get pounded with and rinse and repeat time after time after time, generation after generation after generation. Like no one is above the law except the prosecutors. Right. Like equal like, uh, uh, you know, uh, everyone um, uh Everyone needs to be punished under the law. The law is the law. 
We have to respect the jury system. We have to respect the jury decision. The same sort of cant you were hearing from Nikki Haley about the in the E. Jean Carroll defamation verdict. We have to respect this and we have to do that. If we don't have the rule of law, we don't have. And it belies the reality that we know. But you have to articulate it. You have to make the case. E. Jean Carroll, not a rape victim. Um, but also, too, the longer that this goes on, people are starting to know, like even CNN did a piece about Fannie Willis or Fannie Willis and her lover boy. And everyone's Alvin Bragg by letting those four Venezuelans go who beat up the two uh, New York City police officers. They're starting to see who they really are. They're bad actors. Yes. And Trump points it out. But he is not. But at some point, maybe not tomorrow but at some point if it's clear that he is going to trial in one of these jurisdictions he has to make the next phase of the argument i'm going to get convicted but challenge it publicly now before they they put a gag order on you when these trials are underway i'm going to be convicted this is going to be a rigged jury like the 2020 rigged election i am going to be convicted so don't let this phony conviction on business records or RICO in Fulton County, uh, the classified docs case in D.C., the insurrection case in D.C., don't let this inform your vote. Don't fall prey to the, well, he was, you know, prosecuted. He had his day in court. It was a jury of his peers and all. It's not what it used to be in this country. That's part of the problem. That's part of the rationale for me running again. Make the arguments now or soon when you know. Don't get caught flat-footed. Don't wait for these attitudes to harden. Address it now so people start reconsidering what they understand about the justice system in this country. Because, again, uh, a lot of people that's listen- that are listening to this show, they get it. But a lot of people who aren't, as reflected in the polls, surface skimmers, paying passing attention, they do not. You better start to elevate and amplify this issue sooner rather than later. If, again, it becomes clear you're going to trial. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Before we move to the border, I just have to address this this call that we received um, about uh, what we were talking about with Trump and Fawny Willis and my argument that at some point when it becomes clear he's going to trial and the trial will be adjudicated before November's election, he needs to get out front of it. Don't lie back and wait for the inevitable to happen, as Bonnie Willis did. Get out in front of it. I am innocent, but I will be convicted because these are political prosecutions and uh, and and people are going to vote to convict me just because they don't like me personally, absent any consideration for the law. And unfortunately... This is part of the state of our justice system. I know we're inclined to believe that the justice system produces results we have to uh, attribute legitimacy to. But in this case, you can't because of these reasons. And just know, I already anticipate this is happening. And so I don't want 
people's votes to be influenced by this. They shouldn't be in this case because of the polling that suggests that there's a significant percentage of voters that will be influenced by a formal conviction. So we get this call. It says, oh, Trump has already said um, that uh, if he was asked if he thinks he'll be convicted and he said he probably would be. So Dan needs to keep up on the news. <laughs> um, you're missing the point as uh, the sort of Trump loyalists, unfortunately, often do, because Trump can do no wrong. Everything he does is flawless and is not to be questioned or reviewed. I get that position among some. I'm not one of those. There's always room for improvement. You're missing the point. A presidential campaign is not a deposition. Oh, he admitted to something, so it's on the record, so that's it. It It is central to the messaging when there's a third of voters, Republican voters in South Carolina, that would want him to be replaced if he was convicted after securing the nomination, for example. So when he tweets out in response to the Fawny Willis filing on Friday, Fawny Willis just admitted to having sexual relationship with the prosecutor. This means it's a total that's this means that this scam is totally discredited and over. Yeah. I mean, I get the perspective, but it doesn't mean it's over. That's not in his purview to make that decision. And instead, at some point, he could be saying that it is a scam. She is a political uh, operative pretending to be a prosecutor. So can you can you believe that if this goes to trial, I would be convicted because that's what will happen in Fulton County, Atlanta. See how different that is? And it focuses the entire conversation in a different way. And it gets people to reconsider this idea that I have to have blind faith in whatever the justice system produces. You see how that's different than an offhanded admission at a rally or in an interview? They, yeah, I'd probably get convicted. This is about messaging, relentless messaging. That's what political campaigns are. Stay up with the news. Okay. All right. Had to get that off okay. my chest. All right. Uh, turning to uh, the border, and as we talked about earlier in the show, that uh, Senate Republican slash Democrat immigration bill that dropped yesterday. Um, the uh, I won't go through all the highlights or lowlights, as the case may be, just in terms of some of the more hotly debated aspects. Uh, in the legislation, seven-day rolling average of 5,000 counters per day, or 85 uh, rolling average, seven-day of 5,000 per day or 8,500 encounters in a single day, then Homeland Security is required to shut the border down and turn away anyone who crosses. This goes on as Lankford tried to argue on the Bart Roma show the weekend before last. Or, no, actually it was on um, Fox News Sunday. This does not mean 5,000 are allowed in before this authority kicks in. Single adults would be detained. Families would be released via alternatives to detention. Asylum cases would be fast-tracked to months rather than years under an expedited expulsion system. But as you go through all of this and funding levels and 50,000 new visas over five years, you get to what, to me, is the poison pill. Authorizes the president to suspend the border emergency on an emergency basis for up to 45 days if it's in the national interest. Well... Okay, so you have an an open borders administration that whose uh, executive has the power to suspend everything contained in this bill on an emergency basis for up to 45 days. And as we saw during covid, that just becomes one emergency declaration after the other every 45 days uh, in perpetuity. So what are we really talking about here is we're getting moralized to by Jim Langford. 
For more on uh, this legislation and uh, the particulars and the politics, we're pleased to be joined by Bob Price, Associate Editor and Senior Political News Contributor for Breitbart, Texas. Bob, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You bet, Dan. It's good to be with you in, in the border city of Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. We're at Eagle Pass North. Um, Eagle Pass North, yes, indeed. Uh, so, so, so what's your reaction to what uh, came out yesterday? Well, I, you know, it's, words don't come to my mind here. I mean, it just, this, the right words just don't come. Langford went out last week and said, don't pay any attention to any of these rumors about this 5,000 right. cap or 8,500. This is all just rumors. Well, it's not rumors. It's fact. And it's it's worse than what we thought it was. You know, President Obama's DHS Secretary, Jay Johnson, said during his administration that when they hit 3,000 per day, that was an emergency crisis that was unsustainable. Now they want to allow 8,500 in a day. They, they want to make it okay for 5,000 a day. You know, last month, just in, in, you mentioned Eagle Pass, just in the Del Rio sector, which includes Eagle Pass, and most of these crossings happened in Eagle Pass, there were almost 2,300 per day, just in that tiny little piece of the 1,700-mile border between Mexico and the United States. Where are they getting these numbers and thinking that this is somehow acceptable to the the American people? Chicago can't afford this. These people are still going to get released, and they're still going to get sent to Chicago and New York City and Washington, D.C., and every little small town across the country. You're already seeing crime impacts in in your suburbs there in Oak Oak Brook. How long are we going to put up with this? It's time... Senator Mike Lee said it's time for a change in leadership in the U.S. Senate, uh, particularly on the Republican side. It's time for the the senators to do what the House members did and and kick out these squishy senators that are just trying to appease somebody. God only knows who they're trying to appease, and and, uh, they're certainly not listening to their constituents. And, and let's get some meaningful legislation. But we don't need new legislation. The president has the authority right now, today, to fix this problem, to reinstate the, the issues that were put in place by President Donald Trump that actually worked, that reduced border crossings for the entire southwest border in the, May, in the month of May of 2020 to 19,000 for the entire month for the entire southwest border. You know, it can be done, and it can be done by – Migrants having the absolute certainty of knowledge that if they enter the United States illegally between ports of entry, they will be returned to their country of origin or back into Mexico. Well, since Biden's not doing anything and letting this happen, and then you have somebody like Governor Abbott who's taking the lead on this, since he's put up more razor wire and other you know states are helping out, DeSantis is sending 1,000 uh, Florida National Guard troops, has there been a decrease in entries on a daily basis? Is this working? Because I know less bus. Last week we had the least a number amount of buses coming to Chicago. Yes, there's been a dramatic decrease in the month of January. It, it was cut by 50 percent along the entire southwest border. But that has more to do with what President Biden did behind the scenes and, and not talking about this publicly. 
DHS Secretary Mayorkas and Secretary of State Blinken went to Mexico, and they made some kind of a secret deal that even the, the Speaker of the House doesn't know what's in this deal. And suddenly Mexico started taking action at the behest of the Biden administration to remove migrants from the northern border and ship them back either into central or southern Mexico. Now, this doesn't stop the problem. It just put a like a six-week delay in it, and so you're seeing a temporary slowdown in the numbers as Biden's polling numbers were tanking, and and so um, he had to do something. But it's interesting. I contacted CBP last week and, and asked them after we got the numbers uh, for January, unofficial numbers for January, and I said, what do you attribute this to? Giving them an opportunity to maybe take a victory lap for taking some action finally to to slow down the migrant crossings along the southwest border. Their answer was not anything about what Mexico is doing. It was just simply that this is a historical seasonal decline that normally happens in January. Well, we don't normally see a 50% decrease in January. So this raises the question, why are they hiding this? Why are they hiding this? Because they don't want their base to get angry with them because he's got enough problems with his base already. Well, the other thing, though, that we've seen, and maybe this is part of the explanation as well, is, yeah, because of the razor wire and the presence of the National Guard, and by the way, CBP and the National Guard, all this talk about a Texas standoff, every indication is that CBP and National Guard are on the same page and they're getting along famously down there. Uh, they just have a problem with different executives trying to, 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 to put, push them in different directions. But but the other thing that Malusian has been reporting for Fox News is that, yeah, you've seen the decline in Eagle Pass and along the Texas border, but you've seen a significant increase in the San Diego sector. So move them, move them to states that aren't going to be busing them to Chicago and and New York, like California and Arizona under Katie Hobbs and away from uh, Texas, where they've reinforced the border anyway. We are seeing some of that uh, move, like, for instance, last week in, in the Tucson sector, the numbers were back up to 13,800 for a week. Uh, and so and that's where it was during the historic high in, in December. Uh, San Diego is seeing a big increase. Um, the Texas sectors are seeing a decrease. Uh, and, and while the, the visual effect and the, the will to do something by, by Texas is certainly impactful, the, the disruption of these migrant trains and, and t- taking people out of stash houses in Mexico and sending them back to the other end of the country is, is having a more profound effect. And, and that's forcing the cartels to shift their strategy as well and to move people further west. Mm. Uh, we're still seeing they're slightly lower numbers, but El Paso is still seeing big numbers as well. And, and so it, it is moving west, and that's a good thing for Texas. It doesn't help the rest of the country any. And keep in mind that the migrant crisis you're experiencing in Chicago is not a result of the few thousand migrants that Greg Abbott has bust up there. It's the hundreds of thousands of migrants that the Biden administration has brought there in the dark of night on flights and buses and any way that they, planes, trains, and automobiles, if you will, and, and bringing them up there surreptitiously without any consultation with local government. How about we get the governor of Illinois to send some troops down there to help secure the southern border? Yeah, Maybe right. If they don't want to help Greg Abbott, they could send them to California and help secure the California Oh, they're border. sending them to the Middle East. 300. <laughs> there you go. Uh, one, oh, so I, I saw it was reported that Abbott spent about $125 million on uh, busing migrants to places like New York and Chicago. 
But I got to say, I mean, and I assume he's being received well by the electorate there. I mean, that is a fraction of the cost that just New York City and Chicago are spending. We're, I mean, statewide in Illinois, which is mainly Chicago, we know when you include the Medicaid uh, provided health care coverage and uh, payments, we're we're well into over a billion dollars. You know, we're approaching a billion five at least, tough to guesstimate, but we know that. So, I mean, um, it's it's actually... um, not to sort of sort of ironic to describe it this way, but it's actually fiscally conservative to do what Abbott is doing. Well, you know, um, Toyota used to have a marketing slogan. You asked for it, you got it. Well, I hate to say this to Chicago residents, but you asked for it and you got it. You've declared yourself for years to be a sanctuary city. You refused to turn over criminal aliens who committed violent crimes in your community to, to ICE to where they could be deported. Of course, this administration won't deport them anyway, but under previous administrations, even the Obama administration, they deported many hundreds of thousands of criminal aliens. Sanctuary cities have been creating a magnet that's caused this problem for decades. And now you're, you're seeing the, the results and the impact of this, where it's hitting your cost of housing, your cost of labor, your cost of healthcare, all of these things because of the promises to migrants that if they get to the United States, they'll be released into the country and welcomed into these sanctuary cities, and not just welcomed, but given tremendous benefits, given housing, given cash, given health care, given free education, all of these things that they can't get in their home countries. These are not political refugees, asylum seekers that are coming here. These are purely economic migrants, as, as Democrat Senator Kristen Sinema said yesterday on, on CBS. They're economic migrants. They're, they're abusing the asylum system. And, and unfortunately, cities like Chicago and New York and Philadelphia, uh, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles are paying the price for it. He is Bob Price, associate editor and senior political news contributor for Breitbart, Texas. Bob, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. You bet. See you next time. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy Art. I'm going to tee up uh, Aunt Linda, Amy's Aunt Linda, because uh, Nikki Haley made uh, her star turn on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. Yes. Did you watch it? Well, you don't watch Saturday Night Live. I saw the clip online. Yeah. She, she, just, she just doesn't understand the moment if she thinks this is going to be helpful. So this is uh, the Saturday Night Live uh, cast trying to help uh, Nikki Haley. Okay, our next question comes from someone who describes herself as a concerned South Carolina voter. Yes, hello. <laughs> Why won't you debate Nikki Haley? Oh, my God, it's her, the woman who was in charge of security on January 6th. It's Nancy Pelosi. For the 100th time, that is not Nancy Pelosi. It is Nikki Haley. 
Are you doing okay, Donald? You might need a mental competency test. You know what I did? I took the test and I aced it, okay? Perfect score. They said I'm 100% mental. And, you know, I'm confident because I'm a man. That's why a woman should never run our economy. Women are terrible with money. In fact, a woman I know recently asked me for $83.3 million. And you spent $50 million in your own legal fees. Do you need to borrow some money? Oh, Nikki, don't do this, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki Kiki Tommy. Nikki, don't lose that number. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment, we call her. Six cents, remember that one? I see dead people. Yeah, that's what voters will say if they see you and Joe on the ballot. Oh, that's not very nice, Nikki. It's not nice. And I'm always very nice to you, except when I'm implying you weren't born in this country. Even though you're from South Carolina, and now I'm going to beat you in your state. And did you win your home state in the last election? I won Staten Island. <laughs> and the parts of Long Island where the fist fights happen, where they, where they get out of the cars if you honk at them. I love my world star whites. I thought it was funny because um, it just proved to me that it's over. She was not trying to salvage her campaign. It's, it's over, and that was her, you know, why not have fun on the way out? I don't think that's her attitude. That may be your uh, handle on it, but I don't think that's her attitude. I don't think that's what she or her campaign thought she was doing. You just don't understand the moment. You think being platformed by enemies of the republic is the way that you endear yourself to Republican primary voters, even in your home state? And the, the and you, you go along to shill for the sort of silly attacks that SNL uh, dreams up against Donald Trump, although actually she's been using some of them herself. And she wonders why she's down 40 in her home state. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm not dissecting the humor here, but I mean, um, you know, Trump losing New York in a general is not quite the same thing as you losing South Carolina in a primary. <laughs> I mean, but. It just it forget forget even that, though. It's just it's just you just don't under you think that celebritizing yourself is a path somewhere, maybe to uh, another book deal or some enhanced speaking fees, but not electorally. For more on this, let's bring in Aunt Linda. Aunt Linda Burkhart is Amy's Aunt Linda. She's it's a Buckhart. Look at me uh, correcting you, huh? Oh, Burke, I finally oh, it, got a name right because oh, we're Buckhart. related. Yes. Buckhart. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, Aunt Linda. Uh, and she's a former Trump delegate who has been promoted to Trump captain. Aunt Linda, thank you for being with us. Appreciate it. Certainly, and thank you for having me. So um, how how'd you react to that uh, Nikki Haley star turn on SNL? She gets zero delegates. Zero delegates in, in Nevada. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you think this race is over pretty much? Yeah, she didn't come to Nevada and spend any money or appear here. So bad chance of her getting it. And um, and so what's what's a, what are you doing as a Trump captain in Nevada? Well, I have been trained. I have collected my 25 delegates, my great friends, and they're going to go and um, caucus for Trump on this, this Thursday night. And we are meeting in groups, keeping the momentum going. We are 
after people who are complacent, they need to get it, you know, get their boots on the ground like I do. And we are going to have a Trump and his family are going to be here Thursday night. They're going to be visiting different caucus sites, and I'll be in working one of them. And who knows what, where they will show up? Yeah. Hopefully, you'll see them. So, why does Nevada hold both a primary and caucus? Can you explain that? Well, that's a good question. With the caucus, you had to be a registered Republican by January 8th. The caucus, you must show voter ID, precinct-based voting, election day, not election month results, paper ballots, and transparent tabulation. In the primary, you can vote none of the above instead of Nikki Haley and, and won't count towards any delegates. People can change their parties for the for that one, February sixth, and then they can change back. With the caucus set up, it's great. So this was this was the the, the Republican Party in Nevada saying we're going to run uh, our own show here that really focuses on the um, the sort of election that is our model for a, a proper free and fair election. And generates uh-huh. the out generates the outcome from Republican, you know, Republican voters, not interlopers uh-huh. from the other side. That's the point of it. Yeah. All right. Very yeah. good. Uh, candidates had to spend fifty five thousand dollars of their own money to be on the at the caucus and get their name on ballot at caucus. And so there's no state money public money going into that. With a primary, we're spending over $5 million to have all these paper ballots sent out and count by the machines, Chinese-made parts, and we feel in the caucus it'll be uh, paper counting. People will count, not machines. So do you think, um, uh, what, what do you think, I mean, uh, is there a lot of excitement for Trump in Nevada such that you think maybe in this year, with Biden's unpopularity, he can win Nevada? In 2020, he lost by just a little over 30,000 votes, so it was relatively close. Do you think he can win it this time around? Yes, what, what happened last time is there were 170,000 people who did not go to vote. Republicans did not vote. The weather was bad on the election day, but they just didn't think they have a ch- had a chance. So our purpose is to get to these low-information people and get them involved. Mm-hmm. Did you think the last election was fair, or what did the Democrats do in Nevada that might have been a little sketchy? Well, this is something that has happened before. If the wrong party gets in. The other party complains. Other uh, elections they thought were stolen, and it's uh, but it's really uh, magnified this time. Now, um, do I understand it uh, correctly? I, I think Amy told me this that you're going to be in the owners' box on Sunday in Vegas with Brittany Mahomes and Taylor Swift and Jason Kelsey for the Super Bowl. Is that right? <laughs> I will be safely at home. I don't want to be on the roads or near the strip. 
Okay, all right. I just want to, I was going to ask you to to tell Jason Kelsey to keep his shirt on if you were going. So I just wanted to Absolutely. Must do that or else our... take your cameras off him. Well, Good please. Luck with that. Yeah, please to tell us about it. Uh, all right, Aunt Linda, Aunt Linda Buckhart that is in uh Nevada. She's a Trump delegate who's been promoted to Trump captain and she's uh Organizing the troops in Nevada for Trump uh, for the caucus night and then on to the general election. Aunt Linda, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Have a good day. Okay. Love you, Aunt Linda. Take care. Love you. Right, uh, I love you, Aunt Linda, too. <laughs> and she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM560. The answer. Dan and Amy, uh, speaking of the Super Bowl, did you see that uh, Pat Mahomes Sr. got uh, arrested for his third Dewey? Yeah, I know. It was in a, where was he in Texas? Taylor, Texas? I think, yeah. Um, hey, how about, uh, how about Junior gets dad a driver? I know. I and wonder if they're close. Do you know the nature of their relationship? Maybe some help. I, th- I think they're close. If they're uh, close, he should at least spring for Uber or Lyft. Dad, yeah. uh, detox maybe too. Well, he can go to re. Yeah, he should. Uh, I it just it's a bad distraction, right? And then it's too bad. Game. I mean, he was he was you know senior was a great athlete in his own right, major league pitcher. Oh, he was. You didn't know? Yeah, yeah. Pat Mahomes. Yeah, pitcher of the Yankees, Twins. Biden's not doing the Super Bowl interview, by the way, for the second year in a row, just in case you care. Yeah, probably a good play on his part. Yeah. Um, speaking of good plays, uh, on the other side. Um. Brock Purdy, the QB for San Francisco. Boy, these young QBs in the NFL, as noxious as the league is politically at the macro level, you've got some young quarterbacks that are, um, you know, pretty inspired. And it's interesting, too, because it's uh, three quarterbacks who I think have been surprises in terms of how well they've played. Earlier uh, this year, intermittently, we brought you C.J. Stroud of the Texans, Jordan Love of the Packers. Now Brock Purdy of the Niners um, and uh, their uh, faith life and how it informs their well professional and personal lives. Uh, Brock Purdy sat down with Sports Spectrum, which is a great outlet uh, that uh, is the intersection of Christianity and athletics. And uh, he had this to say about uh, his faith and his approach. Honestly, you want the truth because this is the truth. And I'm not going to just say, you know, like a worldly answer of, you know, I, I look in the mirror every night and I tell myself I'm good. It's none of that. It's, yeah. it's man, like, this is who God has called me to be, and I've believed that from day one. I've believed that Jesus Christ did come down and died for my sins and, and rose again, and, and he's living, you know, he's living and sitting beside God on the throne. And so I believe that. It's not just some story, fairy tale thing. It's, it's real, and it, it, is, it allows me to, you know, stay level-headed and, and real with life, and I know what my purpose is. And so mm. that all has allowed me to play my game. It has allowed me to play football at this level. And, um, you know, um, I, I don't go into the locker room telling everyone, you know, I believe this or that. Or it, it just comes about, you know, when guys ask me or they're interested in, you know, what helps you do what you do, then, yeah, I share. Um, but, you know, I just – the biggest thing for me is just loving all my teammates, you know, being where they're at relating with them, um, being a relatable teammate. Um, and then, you know, if they ask about what, what I believe in, then I'm, I'm all, I'm all for sharing. So. 
Uh, pretty impressive young man, Love, yes. Stroud, and Purdy, all three. Uh, and God better be with him because he's facing one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, not really. Chiefs, not really. It's not really Who one of the, the best. best defensive team in the NFL? The, the, the team that, that the Chiefs beat to get there, the Ravens. Um, uh, something else, though, too, just on that, that topic of sort of inspirational stories about uh, uh, about faith life and where it can bring you, what it can set you up to do. Uh, shockingly, I saw this online. Uh, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus in The Chosen. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. Are you watch? I'm on season two. Uh, no, I got to get into that. I oh, know it's, it's been so downloaded good. like half a billion times. The it's first this. few episodes are slow, down, but stay with it. It gets really good. Well, uh, Jonathan Rumi um, was down and out. Really? He was down and out before he landed this role, and he's not a young man. I mean, he's uh, in his late 40s. Um, and he uh, shared the story. Uh, well, he essentially shared that story in the context of his faith life. I had to do all these other jobs, these side jobs. I drove rideshare. I, I uh, worked in catering, all these yeah. things that I'd never done before. And gotten to the point where I was broke. I was out of money. I was out of food. I was out of even government assistance for food. Mm. And the only thing I hadn't done at that point was the thing that was left to do, which was to get on my knees and surrender my entire life and my career. And everything that I had up to that point over to God, because there wasn't anything I realized I could do on my own. Well, you were a believer before that? Yeah, yeah, I was raised with the faith from a child, but it really wasn't until after that moment, um, it was about almost six years ago now, where I just said, Jesus, I surrender myself to you, take care of everything. And that day, I received this incomprehensible financial miracle that changed my life. And then three months later, I booked The Chosen. Wow. I just got the chills. Yeah, it's crazy stuff. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.